I don't refer to astrology as a science because it is not a hard science. I see it more as an art. I see it more as a poetry. But at the same time, I think that we are often, you know, that the a lot of ignorance and patriarchal standards are the measure that sort of devalues what the planets and the cosmos have and their influence on us as organic beings. So I live in that world of like, no, it's not a science, but yes, it's really important. And I think that that is a, an interesting place to be. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. A note on the audio. During this recording, Stacy had a little bit of an electronic buzz to her recording. And while I've tried to clean that up, it is certainly very prevalent. Our apologies, that issue has been resolved. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm so excited to welcome today astrologer to the stars, Aliza, like Abiza, right? Did I get it right? You got it right. Excellent. <laughs> I actually mentioned wanting to get you on the podcast, like... I don't know, several episodes ago, and I called out your name to the universe, like, I would love to have you on the show, because we've actually done several shows talking about the moon and astrology in general, and my co-host at that time was like, nope, I'm a scientist, it's absolutely not supported, and so I was like, we need to get the flip side of that coin. So in full disclosure and honesty, I'm what I'm going to call astro curious. I'm somewhere between a hard no and a stars tell us everything. Perhaps astro, <laughs> perhaps astro agnostic is the term. And I feel like, well, I know for sure that my cycle is synced to the moon. So obviously my moods are affected by the moon. And so it's much easier for me to associate a, a clear definition, but I know that's not the case for everyone. Um, I think what's interesting is that your approach to astrology is a lot about what people make of it. And so I do kind of want to talk about that. But before we jump in and introduce yourself, I just so you're aware, because I know you haven't heard it, I wanted to review kind of the science that we shared previously about the moon specifically and the conclusion at that time was the science does not yet show anything but for me the science on how the mood affects tides and how humans are water and the short answer of that from the science perspective what the science will tell you is that our bodies aren't of great enough mass to be affected or how the moon affects menstruation and sleep which we know in my case is <laughs> very definitive um the science says it's inconclusive beyond just the bright light affecting rural areas. And, you know, with birth control and all the different things that happen these days, like it's just inconclusive. They can't find anything. And so for me, my takeaway was a little bit different. And I pulled out the part of the study that said the mechanism that makes it possible for an object as small as the human body to be affected by the minute changes in gravity are that are associated with lunar tidal tidal cycles is unclear and is a question for future research, right? So it, it did not, the art, the science wasn't like debunked. <laughs> it was like, it's unclear and we need future research. And then went on to say, although skepticism is warranted, lunar mood cycles may be an experiment of nature that is pointing toward aspects of gravity and biophysics that are only beginning to be investigated. So because of my personal experience and because of following you, honestly, I'm going to share a clip in a little bit about how this made sense to me and was a light bulb moment. I was super excited to bring you onto the show and kind of give that element of your expertise and, like I said, that the other side of the coin, so to speak, of the skepticism. So welcome. Maybe you could tell our audience a little bit about yourself if they haven't already read you in Cosmo, Allure, People. I know you have your own podcast, Stars Like Us, and I follow you on Instagram. I think you're also on 
TikTok. I'm too old for that. I think I'm too old for it too. No, you're killing it. I'm there. (laughs) (laughs) We'll put links to all that in the show notes, but welcome. Can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Yes. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here and it's it's truly an honor and I have to say I, I'm very riled up just hearing all of this moon <laughs> this moon shade so as it is because it's the moon is like undeniably such an important part of our cycle. But We'll get into that in a minute. For those who are just meeting me, my name is Eliza Kelly. I am an astrologer. I'm an author. I'm a host. I have been working in the astrology space for almost 10 years, and I have done a lot of things. I've talked to a lot of people. Um, Until a few years ago, I had a really robust private practice, and in my private practice, I had I've worked with thousands of people and looked at thousands of birth charts and have so much qualitative and anecdotal information about the efficacy of astrology. And that just, to me, you know, makes such a strong argument for why it is such a, an invaluable tool that, to, that we can work with. But at the same time, I also am a very firm believer in the value of the scientific method to support the types of things the scientific method is meant to support. So I I live in this impossible category of, I'd like to say being unstumpable because I am not, I don't refer to astrology as a science because it is not a hard science. I see it more as an art. I see it more as a poetry. But at the same time, I think that we are often, you know, that the, a lot of, ignorance and patriarchal standards are the measure that sort of devalues what the planets and the cosmos have and their influence on us as organic beings. So I live in that world of like, no, it's not a science, but yes, it's really important. And I think that that is an interesting place to be. I love that. I'm going to jump in by sharing a soundbite that was the one that made me fall in love with you. I mean, I was already following you for a while, but the one that I said was like kind of a light bulb moment for me. And I'll put a link in the show notes to the video, but for this audio format, all listeners need to know is that Aliza was responding to a comment, which was, imagine thinking your behavior is affected by the position of the planets that are millions of miles away. So can we please dive into how you relate the theory of relativity and more into your work? Well, I, I'm, I'm a very curious person. I am someone who is, is very fascinated by learning about all things. So, you know, in, I, I, and I go through phases of what I'm really curious about, but if I had to sort of like, you know, create buckets of what my deep curiosities are and the types of rabbit holes I go down. I would say it's, there's a history bucket, there is a nature bucket, and then there is a astrophysics astronomy bucket. And all of those are not my work as an astrologer. That is what I, I, you know, I watch these documentaries before falling asleep. I read, I buy some books. I like, I sort of have these amateur passions and wanting to learn. When I was in college, I was an art history major. And I feel like that kind of is the same synthesis of a lot of those things, maybe not the astrophysics one, but suffice it to say like that kind of liberal arts, I'm inspired and interested in everything very much informs the types of ideas that I have, the way that I move through the world, the way that I think about things. So that my astrophysics astronomy intrigues are really compelling for the work that I do as an astrologer, as well as the nature. And I'll sort of talk about, and the history too, actually. And I guess I can talk about kind of all of those relative, no pun intended to each other. I have never, or let me, let me phrase it this way. I find patterns and symbols and synchronicities to be the backbone of my work as an astrologer. And I have not 
seen anything in that I, you know, in my own research of astronomy and the cosmos from a scientific perspective that says astrology doesn't exist. In fact, I feel like it often posits more questions about how interconnected we all are and what how the divine, if there is a divine, or how this like omniscient deity narrative of the universe is actually um, holding us all together. And I find there to be, you know, learning about the science of things, and again, you know, from an amateur perspective, of course, but learning about the science of the cosmos is such important illumination for my poetic interpretive work as an astrologer. And the cool thing is that I often see these bounce off each other and inform each other in these like beautiful, really organic, magical, synchronicitous ways. For instance, the planet Neptune, which in astrology we have associated with dreams and illusion and mysticism, was actually the first planet that was imagined before it was discovered because it is invisible to the naked eye. And it was discovered in the mid 1800s using a telescope. And it was the first planet that actually embedded that, that idea of imagination and theorizing and using sort of the subconscious and the consciousness and like the mathematical formulas, but also just like ideation to pinpoint where it was located came to be. And to me, I find that to be just like a beautiful, magical parallel. And so in this video where I talk about the theory of relativity in this like clapback video I made to some obnoxious dude, I was really just trying to open up a conversation about the fact that science doesn't mean that astrology or an interpretive understanding of our interconnectivity is void. You know, it's not moot. And in fact, oftentimes the science of things opens up different ways of understanding and different ways of interpreting or extracting meaning from the qualitative, anecdotal, lived experiences that we extract through astrology. So the talking about, you know, the theory of relativity as and gravitational waves as creating these undulations across the entire universe, or at least our solar system for what we understand, and having the proof that a gravitational wave does impact us here on Earth says we are affected by things that happen in the cosmos. Therefore, if we are affected by things that happen in the cosmos, then how we are affected remains to be seen. And why not create and add to this rigorous language of astrology by folding these conversations together and having these broader, less binary, less black and white, less prescriptive, less didactic, less formulaic hypotheses that we are treating as as the singular truth. I mean, there to me, there is no singular truth. So the fact that we would just deny the efficacy of any astrology or any astro impression on us as organic beings is like ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous. I love that you relate it to poetry and a magic, because when I think of astrology, that's how I think of it. And one of the things that I love that you talk about is, is patterns and also kind of allowing it to reveal your your truth versus letting it dictate your life or using it as an excuse for behavior or those kinds of things. And so I feel like that was a, a great way to kind of share share some of the things that I relate to and love. I want to help our audience who is primed to debunk pseudoscience. That's something that, that we love to do here. But I, I want to start with a quote from you kind of responding to that question. So this was something you wrote for Cosmo, I think, if I've got this right. And it said, for every person who's genuinely excited about astrology, there's a condescending troll who's equally obsessed with debunking it. The latter often leads to snide remarks like, if two people are born on the same day, do they have the exact same personality? No, 
astrology is more complex than that. And you're telling me that my whole life is dictated by the planets. Everything is a combination of nature and nurture, sweetie. In these instances, when I'm asked to prove astrology's legitimacy, people are often shocked by my response. As an astrologer, I truly do not care if astrology is real. Astrology is fundamentally a practice in empathy. We use the stars, planets, and celestial bodies to understand ourselves as multidimensional beings, recognizing that how we act isn't always how we feel, and what we do isn't always what we desire, but just because feelings aren't quantifiable in a scientific way doesn't mean that astrology can't have an impact on someone's life. And then you go on to relate this to Myers-Briggs, which is ingenious, and I would love to talk more about that as well but I just I want to kind of like lay this foundation for our audience who might be more science-minded to just kind of open themselves to the idea that some of these concepts can inform your own perception of yourself or your own reality and that's personally how I approach it but then there's also the wonderful work that you do going detailed into charts that people might not fully understand that astrology is just beyond like the one thing that they think they are. And there's so much more complexity depending on their location and their date of birth and all those kinds of things. So I I just wanted to kind of lay that foundation for people to open their minds a little bit to the idea that it doesn't really matter if it's real in terms of how you choose to consume this this poetry this magic this information that might inform parts of yourself yeah I mean there's so much there so yes I mean like the word pseudoscience I think for me I I think for most astrologers is like so triggering it's such a triggering term and I can't speak for everyone I cannot because I do know that there are astrologers that will argue astrology is a science I am not one of those astrologers. I do not think astrology is a science. Therefore, it is not a pseudoscience because I'm not trying to claim its role within the scientific space. You cannot apply the scientific method to it, period. It simply does not. It's the wrong tools to look at the value of astrology. But I think that what the issue is, is that we try to shove so many different methodologies and so many different types of psychological, spiritual, emotional, subconscious work into the scientific method, but that's not the right way of being able to measure its efficacy. It's not the right way of being able to measure its value. And to me, that is a, a really like pretty expansive issue with the way that we we when as we have conversations about the legitimacy of astrology like you wouldn't you know you nobody would try to like cut somebody's hair using tools for surgery you know like you're not going to give yourself a haircut with at a hospital using like a scalpel you know like that would be crazy So it's the same thing. It's like the, but at the same time, like a haircut is a really important thing and people need haircuts and they affect our mood and they affect the way we look and they affect the way we move through the world and they affect the way that people see us. So it's like, we have to make sure that if we're trying to understand how something works, that we are setting it up with the tools that support it and that we're not putting, we're not using the wrong equipment to deduce whether or not it's valuable or whether or not it has relevancy, because it does. It does have relevancy. Astrology is this extraordinarily complex, very, you know, wide scope language. And it is more than the 12 zodiac signs. So I do think that there is some cognitive dissonance around that, because if people think that astrology is simply here are the 12 signs of the zodiac here are the keywords associated with it it is based on the day that you were born then yeah that is a very rigid language set you know you only have 12 archetypes but what astrology actually is is an entire map of the sky at your exact moment of birth and each of the planets and celestial bodies have these extraordinarily rich narratives and archetypes and mythologies associated with them. And then the way that that planet or celestial body expresses itself is through the zodiac sign it occupies. 
And it's also based on where it falls in your birth chart. So just at face value, every single planet, so that's the sun, moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, plus more, are all measured based on what the planet does, the zodiac sign it occupies, and the area of the chart it's located within. And then all of that is also considered relative to all of the other planets. So it's considered based on something called aspects, which is the relationship between the planets. So the technical properties of astrology are expansive, right? And basically what that looks like in, in, in actuality, what that looks like in practice, are these very intricate, very nuanced deep dives into who someone is, where they come from, what inspires them, what frustrates them, what, what their fears are, what their hopes are, what their dreams are. And all of that information is sort of considered and held to the same level of value and significance. And for people who work with this tool, it's an absolutely incredible way of talking about multidimensionality and in recognizing that people are extremely complicated. They are they are extremely complicated in that how we externalize can be radically different than what goes on internally. And the advent, if you will, of psychology and a, a, a deeper look into the psyche, which was really within the past 100 you know, maybe 150 years, which is so in, in history, really quite a new study, transformed astrology because we have people like Carl Jung who saw that there was this incredible, powerful relationship between the archetypes presented through this ancient tool of astrology and so many of the psychological breakthroughs that were happening at the beginning of the 20th century. So that forever changed astrology. That changed astrology from being something that was a predictive tool that was measuring, you know, how many babies you were going to have or, you know, if you were going to win the lottery or if you were going to, when you were going to get married or to whom you were going to get married, to something that was a, a mirror into our internal experience. And with that mirror into our internal experience, we have this much wider lens to be able to understand. I mean, this is like the microscope telescope, right? This is the combination of those really being the same thing. We can look inward, we look outward to look inward, and we can have these really robust conversations about our internal experience through the language and the archetypes of astrology that weren't otherwise possible. And in addition to that, you know, I, I think that it should be noted that psychology was considered a pseudoscience, and there are still people who consider it a pseudoscience, and there are still people who do not value, who do not see a value in therapy or mental health, and that they can't back up these explorations of the mind through the scientific method, which is one of the reasons it was so hard to get PTSD entered into the DSM, you know, because there wasn't enough, because there wasn't the quantitative evidence. It was only qualitative. So the issue of like quantitative versus qualitative as it relates to science and the scientific method and debunking things is broader than just astrology. Astrology is, is maybe a little bit more mystical. It's a little bit more, it's maybe it's a little it's easier to point a finger at it and say like, oh, that's too wacky. But the truth is, is that that is the same. This is the same pattern that has applied to anything that has to do with our internal experience, mental health or things that are unseen is that it's hard for us to actually put data around them. And we do need to listen to people and we need to listen to people's internal experiences without having a measuring tape to try to legitimize it. Hey, I don't know who needs to hear this, but just a reminder that my favorite non-toxic beauty brand is offering 30% off through April 30th. That's tomorrow with code clean for all 30. Or after that, you can use clean for all 20 for 20% off. 
Mother's Day is coming. Treat yourself or a loved one to a healthier, luxurious personal care experience. Trust me, all moms want time alone for self-care. And while I'm fighting for legislative change for all brands to protect consumers, I love that Beauty Counter tests every single batch against 23 different human health endpoints to ensure performance and safety. No contaminants, carcinogens, or unsafe heavy metals, no benzene and sunscreen, no PFAS and makeup, only nourishing skin superfoods to help you love the skin you're in. Email me, stacy at realeverything.com for help, and choose me, Stacy Toth, with no E, at checkout to use code CLEANFORALL30 when using an email that's never purchased before for 30% off your order. With their 60-day no-questions-asked return policy, what have you got to lose? Shoppingbeautycounter.com slash Toth is just like any other website. I know abandoning products you've used for years can be scary, and switching to safer can be expensive. Let me take the fear out and help you. Plus, when you shop with me, you're supporting a small woman-owned business and a certified B Corp, ensuring transparency for doing good by people and the planet. Email me, Stacy at realeverything.com for help, or shop at beautycounter.com slash Toth and choose me at checkout to use Clean for All 30 for 30% off your order. This podcast is brought to you by Thrive Market. We personally have a monthly delivery and wish I had started shopping there sooner. I can find everything I need without having to run around to multiple different grocery stores. I'm the planner in the family, the meal plan, the shopping list, you name it. Then Matt executes. I love knowing that we'll never run out of ketchup, mustard, and other more hard-to-find foods like gluten-free, glyphosate-free oats and cassava pasta because I put it on autopilot. And because they remind you before it ships, I can always modify the box to add things for that delivery. Not only are the prices affordable, Thrive Market carefully vets each and every item so you can trust that if they sell it, it's probably the highest quality available. And all in one place. Even though they have over 5,000 products, finding what you need is easy on Thrive Market because you can filter by 90 plus values to find what works for you. For example, gluten-free, zero waste, and BIPOC-owned business brands. All right, there's even better news. You know I'm all about brands that do right by people on the planet. And when you join Thrive Market, you're joining a community of 1 million members and sponsoring a family in need. And with their fast and free carbon neutral shipping, you are also bettering our planet. Can your grocery store do all that? Join Thrive Market today to get 40% off your first order and a free gift worth over $50. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash whole view to get 40% off your order and a free gift worth over $50. That's thrivemarket.com slash whole view, thrivemarket.com slash whole view. I just love a hundred percent of everything you just said. I um, <laughs> sorry for the monologue. I no, do not apologize. It's this. Uh, well, and that's why I want you to share your passion. But I think for me, the idea of being able to say it's not a pseudoscience because it's not a science, and it's about self-reflection and incorporating concepts of psychology and being able to evaluate yourself is really how it speaks to me. I have a like a side tangent that came to my mind while you were talking and I think it's a it's a funny story for you but my mom is very woo-woo. My mom did my full chart when I was still in high school. She also did like my numerology and a bunch of different stuff and at that time I felt very very headstrong in not having children. My whole life, I always thought I wasn't going to have children and I wasn't going to get married. I was just going to be like this. I have have three siblings. And so I was like, I'm just going to be the cool aunt and I'm going to travel around the world and, you know, do all this stuff. And I want to be held down with children. And I remember very distinctly my mom telling me that I was going to marry a man very similar to my father. And I was going to have three children and she was like and they're gonna be boys because I was a female I was raised by a single mom and I had two sisters on my father's side and I just very much identified like completely with 
being a single mom if I was going to have children to have my own daughter because that's how I've been raised and I just remember laughing at her so hard and being like that's the most ridiculous thing that you can tell me right now like there's absolutely no possibility of that happening and then I went on to marry a man very similar to my father and have three boys so do do I think that she predicted the future no I I I don't exactly I can't point to from a scientific method like you said what in the world prompted her to say those things? And one could say, well, it's very common psychology-wise that daughters marry people similar to their own fathers. And I happen to marry a man who only has males in his lineage, like ever. They only have boys in that family. And so one could have predicted when I was with that man that I was, of course, going to have boys. But she didn't know any of that at the time. And so whenever I'm thinking about debunking and questioning I go back to that very vivid moment in my teenage history like what in the world was there that my mom was able to like come up with that in that moment and can I define it can I quantify it can I do any of that no but it it is something that I reflect upon and it is something that I'm like okay is it what more can I do with that? I don't know. But now what I can do is kind of like look at the the parts of myself that I want to work on, right? So I'm a Virgo. I am not kind and gentle. But in my mind, I am, <laughs> right? Like in my mind, I love people so much and I have, I have a big heart, but it comes across like very like I'm a jack-in-the-beanstalk giant, like just kind of tromping around on emotions. And so for me, that's something that when I look at being a Virgo, I'm like, I need to work on that because I would like to be kind. Whether that has anything to do with what day I was born is really irrelevant. Like it's it's an ability for me to self-reflect on a part of something that stands out as not kind of fitting into the puzzle, the puzzle that I would like. And I think that there's a lot of people who can relate to reading horoscopes and those different kinds of things. Like, well, this is so nebulous. It would all fall under like blah, 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 blah. And here's the thing that stands out to me. I like to do what you're talking about, which is like, okay, well, what stands out to me is probably the thing that I want to work on myself and how can I work on that and how can I think about that and how can I impact others lives in a positive way like those are the takeaways that I like to have and so I like I loved everything that you said but being able to relate it from a psychology perspective and a mental wellness is is one of those like light bulb mind blowing kind of things for me that I think is really helpful yeah I mean I think that there's a few things that I want to touch on that you mentioned which is that you know, one of my sort of like personal axioms is, you know what you need to know when you need to know it. And for those who need to know about astrology, they will know, <laughs> you know, and this is why it's like, I am not an astrology evangelist. I do not care whether people are like it or not. It's, it doesn't bother me one way or the other. It is not the only thing that I want to talk about. It is not the only passion that I have. I'm totally, totally comfortable going to a party, having dinner with people, and not talking about astrology the entire time. There's plenty of other things that are on my mind. But for those who are drawn to it, there's a reason. And when you go deeper into it, you will discover that there are certain things, there are certain patterns, there are certain symbols, there are certain stories that seem to call out to you. And as those call out to you, they are calling out to you for a reason, and you're going to know them when you need to know them. So you don't have to be an astrology expert overnight, and you don't need to be, and if it never calls to you, you don't need to use it. You know, maybe it's not a language that is, that actually, that fits with your understanding of the world and self. But for those who are interested in going deeper, um, interested in self-reflection, interested in self-improvement, interested in figuring out how to just be a more empathetic and compassionate and sensitive being in this world or to allow oneself to be that, right? Like to not feel like you are too sensitive or that you are 
flawed or that you are doing things wrong or that you should be living a better life or why isn't my life going the way I want it to, for those people, astrology can come in and really connect the dots and really provide a lot of clarity, a lot of illumination and a, and a, and a greater amount of insight than one would be able to glean on their own or even through a traditional therapist method a lot of the time, because that's a different type of practice than the work that astrologers do. And I'm also someone who is is a staunch therapy advocate. I, I firmly believe in, in coupling one's astrological or spiritual work with therapy. I think that that is like the recipe for success. But there are certainly things that the astrologer or the tarot practitioner or the intuitive will be able to open conversations about that the therapist would not, right? So those, they don't um, negate each other. They inform each other and they work together. And it's all part of this greater self-reflective, self-exploratory curiosity about who we are and how we relate to the world around us, which I'm sure there's one skeptic out there listening who's like, doesn't that sound super narcissistic and egoic? And I would say no. I would say no. Individual mental health is critical for society at large. And it is our responsibility singularly to take care of our mental health, to take care of our emotional beings. And the more people who invest, and I don't just mean financially, I mean invest time into understanding themselves, I do believe that the world will be a better place. We absolutely are on the same board here. We talk about um, mental wellness a lot. And so when we when I describe health, I talk about it as inside and out. And I think of that as being both emotional and physical because your physical health is 100% affected by your mental health. And if you are not practicing the muscles, and I'm using quotation marks, <laughs> of your brain to practice mental well-being, then eventually it will affect your your physical being as well. And I, I personally have experience with, as I mentioned before, cycles linking to the lunar cycle, but even more than that, I have a loved one who's affected by bipolar disorder, and I was actually able to trace that back to premenstrual dysphoric disorder, PMDD, which is very common in those with bipolar. And the PMDD was informed by the moon, the lunar cycles, right? So I was actually able to predict the times at which the patterns that we would be able to see this dysphoric disorder and escalations arrive. And that was able to then lead me to working with medical doctors to get prescriptions for this disorder so that it was lessened and to continue to work with therapy so that they could develop their own coping skills and become self-aware. And so I think from my own personal experience, seeing how drastically this person's life was affected by, you know, their inability to function in the daily world during this PMDD cycle and being able to trace back all these things to it did align with the moon. Like to, to me, it's, it's just very much what you're talking about. Like, can I quantify it with science? Not right now, but that doesn't matter because I was able to use it as a predictability and ultimately led to a medical diagnosis, which I was able to get this person to a better place to live a healthier, happier life because we could then process that. So your analysis of using this to inform and using it with therapy and all, all the different elements that are available to you, right? Like using it as, as a method to inform and predict and see patterns, but also use it as a self-reflective tool to become a better version of yourself is, is what I'm all about. So I, I totally agree. I would love if you're, if you're ready to talk on a lighter topic before we have to wrap to read a quote about celebrities and 
signs of celebrities. Are, are, we, are we ready to get a little lighter and fun? Let's do it. Okay. So I think that I've mentioned that I'm obsessed. I watch almost everything that you do at this point. You have a lot of like communities and different things that I'm not a part of, but I love following your stuff. And I am living for the celeb gossip via the stars right now. And even I, consuming all of that, didn't truly get what you meant until I read the New Yorker piece on you. And you said, my favorite thing is to talk about the signs of celebrities because these are modern day mythological figures. In ancient Greece, if you said Athena, everyone knew. Oh, that's what Athena is like and this is so genius can we please talk more about this because I was like (laughs) oh my gosh this this was like a full circle moment for me yeah I so I I love to I mean I think that understanding the zodiac through archetypes is is so key and it's such an important tool of learning and to be able to personalize the extremely complex language that is astrology. But I also think, and like, obviously I know that we're shifting into a more lighthearted and playful moment, but I have to say that I think having, applying astrology to pop culture is, is a really important healing tool. And the reason for that is because we can look at, if we allow ourselves to look at, at celebrities as more complex beings, rather than just good or bad, then it allows us to look at ourselves as more complex beings rather than just good and bad. And I do think that one of the values of, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, the, the myth, the mythology, I I was going to say Greco-Roman mythology and classical antiquity, but I think that this is applicable across many cultures is that you have these gods and goddesses that have that are flawed. You know, you have gods and goddesses that are really good at some things and really, really bad at other things. And I think that that is valuable. And I think that if we could apply that same sort of approach to understanding celebrities and understanding pop culture, it gives us a portal into understanding how we are simultaneously good and bad and moral and immoral and all of those coexist in tandem and that it's okay. Agreed. I, um, I personally don't have a celeb that I relate to, but I'm like, waiting for your share on whatever day it happens for me to be like, aha, I get it. But I I think part of that is because where there isn't just good, like good, bad, as you said, but also archetypes, right? Like, I think we all are looking for the nuances that we think of ourselves to see in other people, but we're all so individual based on our, you know, nurture, not just nature perspective, that there's complexity to each of us that can't possibly be seen 100% to identify in in some person who we don't really know anyway, right? Like we think we understand celebs, but we we see their version of themselves that they wish to show us and not kind of their, their true form. So the idea that we can refer to them as kind of an archetype or an Athena, but then understand that there's more complexity to them and using that as a healing tool is is very clever. You're you're a clever one. So I think what might be helpful is for the newbies. Aliza has just published an article on Allure, I think just yesterday or the day before, on the 12 zodiac signs, dates and personality traits of each star. And you can go in and look, but maybe you could share just a little bit more about how it is beyond just that archetype definition that people are used to seeing, right? Like the, the full chart, what are some of the other things that you're looking at? Like houses and all of those kinds of things. Maybe you could just give a broad um, definition and understanding so people understand how the, how, how that comes together for you. I almost said the science of it, but I was trying to, uh, trying to respect that you're not calling it a science. So I don't want to either, right? Like how you're pulling that together in a full picture for someone. Sure. Yeah. So we calculate a birth chart based on date, time, and location of birth. And the time of birth is really, is critical 
and it needs to be precise. It needs to be accurate in order for um, us to have get the accurate birth chart. The rising sign, which is what sign was coming up over the eastern horizon at your exact time of birth, creates the architecture for your entire chart. And that rising sign is such a sensitive point, it actually changes degree every two minutes. So it is vital that we have the exact time of birth in order for us to know that we are looking at a true one-to-one -one of what the sky looked like at your moment of birth. And the reason that I emphasize that for beginners is because a lot of the time for a beginner, I'll get someone will say, oh, around three or in the afternoon or in the morning or at night. And it's like, well, okay, like, I can't work with that. You know, like I can't work with at night as a time of birth. So in that case, it's kind of like, well, it's I'm not going to be able to give you a comprehensive reading, but these are the, you know, I can do X, Y, and Z, right? Like if it just so happens that the moon doesn't change signs on the day you were born, then we'll get to know your moon sign. But if it happens that the moon or another planet changes signs on that day, we need to know the exact time that it changed. We need to know the exact time that person was born. So we can say it's either in this or the other. So time of birth is absolutely critical. But if we do have that information, then we get this beautiful diagram that is a wheel. It is shaped like a circle, and it is divided into these 12 sections. Each of these sections is called a house, and it refers to area that an area of life, a, a topic of life, a theme in life. And in your birth chart, you'll see that there are certain planets that are in certain houses, and maybe there are certain houses that hope that house multiple planets. And that means that those themes associated with that house are going to be stronger in your life. So for instance, I have quite a lot of planets. Quite a lot of planets is called a stellium. I have a stellium in my eighth house, which is the area of the chart associated with death, sex, and transformation. Uh, and it also has to do with our sort of emotional relationship with money, the things that we the psychological things that we inherit has to do with our own metamorphosis, our own journey, our own sort of micro life and death cycle. I am definitely someone who has hit many rock bottoms in my life. I am someone who cares very much about the internal experience. I'm someone who has, through my family, a very complicated relationship with money, with my family losing all of their money when I was six and getting this very brutal divorce, right? So I had this very skewed relationship with what finances are, what security is. So all of those things, because I have so many planets in that area, show up in my life. And there are also other houses, there are other areas where things show up as well. But in when you're looking at your chart, you might be able to see certain patterns or certain themes or certain storylines present themselves based on the planets in certain houses in certain areas. So once we know what the house is, then we look at the planet, we look at what the archetypes are of that planet, and then based on what zodiac sign that planet is in, we'll be able to sort of say like, okay, well, this is how that planet expresses itself in that area of the chart. And that is a not beginner's, I would say that is an intermediate <laughs> overview of astrology because a beginner overview of astrology is, hey, we have 12 zodiac signs. You know, this is to, to start putting all of these other pieces together, we do get into more advanced levels. Yeah, for me personally, the looking at just the 12 signs almost never aligns to where I could make it believable for myself. But when I look more deeply at a full picture, it begins to make sense. And there's, there's a, gosh, I wish I could remember the name off the top of my head, but there's a approach of like a professional development life looking and they've got coaches. It's like Myers-Briggs, but it's based on your location and Oh, human design, human design, right? Like the, the human design is like if people know what that is it's more related to like the full completion of astrology like the way that I consider those two right like there's so much complexity in terms of how that's broken down that's more similar than just like oh you're this one thing and these this applies to you it's not really how it works and I think if that's the only introduction that someone has to it of course it's going to seem 
nonsensical almost, right? Like it's like, well, obviously there's more than that amount of people in the world and everyone who was born within those times are going to have the exact same day or experience. Like, no, that's not really what's being said. And we know that it's nebulous because it does apply to your own perception, your your own um, lived experience and how that might affect you is very different than how it might affect someone else who has similar to you, a lot of houses, a lot of planets in that same house, right? Like their life is not going to look exactly the same as yours, but the idea is that there's going to be patterns associated with it. Did I get that yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, as a, to argue on behalf of the sun signs and the sun sign horoscopes, which is, you know, when we think of the beginners and the entry into astrology, the 12 zodiac signs and seeing those by date of birth. You know, I, I think that though that's, it's definitely a gateway. And I think of them as meditations. I think of them as affirmations or reflections. When you find a, a horoscope that resonates with you, what you ultimately are finding resonate with you is that astrologer's interpretation of that moment, right? Whether that moment is a day or a week or a month or a year, you know, if you're looking at annual horoscopes, you're really resonating with the way that that astrologer interprets change and interprets flow. It's not meant to be an accurate one-to-one of what exactly is going on in your life. There's no possible way it could be, right? But when you find something that strikes a chord, it's because you, it's because that reader or that individual is resonating with the way that the astrologer is interpreting the movement, not because, not in that it needs to be this extraordinarily accurate, clear-cut, like, you know, copy, carbon copy version of what is actually taking place and transpiring in your unique reality. All right. We'll be sharing what we really thought over on patreon.com slash the whole view. And I have a feeling this one's going to be pretty good because I can't wait to share more fully on some of these things. And if you'd like to connect more with Eliza, which I highly recommend, you can find her on social at A-L-I-Z-A-K-E-L-L-Y. And you can go to her website, alizakelly.com. And definitely check out her podcast, Stars Like Us. Aliza, is there anything else I missed or you want to share before we pop over to Patreon? No, no. Thank you so much for having me. We are Allie and Erica, certified integrative nutrition health coaches in gut and hormone health and the hosts of the podcast, Courageous Wellness. We are committed to destigmatizing conversations in the wellness space and celebrate the experiences and lessons of our guests in pursuit of physical, emotional, and spiritual wellness. Listen to Courageous Wellness wherever you get your podcasts with fresh episodes every Wednesday.